Welcome to The Rebound, where we'll explore the issues facing supply chain managers as our industry gets back up and running in a post-COVID world. This podcast is hosted by Abe Eskenazi, CEO of the Association for Supply Chain Management, and Bob Troublecock, Editorial Director of Supply Chain Management Review. Remember that Abe and Bob welcome your comments. Now to today's episode. Well, hello and welcome to today's episode of The Rebound, the 2023 ASCM Salary Survey, Diversity, Inclusion, and Closing the Pay Gap. I'm Bob Troublecock. And I'm Abe Ashkenazi. And joining us today are Amy Augustine and Lisa Veneziano. Amy is the Senior Director of the Network Supply Chain at U.S. Cellular. Lisa is the Chair of the ASCM Board of Directors and For 35 years, she was a supply chain leader at GM, including executive director of global supply chain, warehousing, and logistics. Amy, Lisa, welcome. Well, hello to you both, and thank you for the invite on such an important topic. Yes. Hi, everyone, and thanks for the invite. Well, thank you, and uh, we're really great to have you uh, here to chat about uh, the salary survey. Hey. First, it's great to be back. We had a little hiatus, but we're back in the saddle again, as you say. And this is the second time you and I have done an episode on the annual salary survey. This year's results reinforce the notion that now is perhaps the best time ever to be in the supply chain profession. Now, we're not going to cover the whole survey today. As a listener, you can find it on ASCM.org. But before we talk to Amy and Lisa, Abe, can you walk us through the highlights? What really stood out most to you? Yeah, thanks, Bob. And and again, as you indicated, it's a fairly deep report. So let's just cover some of the highlights that we're seeing out of it that really do speak to supply chain professionals, not only the organizations, but the industry as a whole. Uh, First, uh, salaries are extremely competitive. Uh, I think this is a great recognition of the value that supply chain professionals bring to their organizations. Uh, we're seeing median salaries over $95,000. And, you know, this is, you know, a significant contribution these individuals are making to their organizations. Secondly, job seekers, individuals that are looking for employment, whether they're in a job today or they're coming out of school, they're finding jobs in less than three months and competitive employment as well. So that bodes well, not only for today, but for those graduating seniors coming out of school and looking for opportunities within the supply chain field. I think we also have to add that job satisfaction for these individuals is extremely high. Almost 96% of professionals indicate that they plan to stay in the field for the next five years. Given the turnover that we've had in a lot of the industries, I think that's an extraordinary percentage of individuals that are committed to their organizations. And I think that also is a, you know, a great statement about the organization's investment in their talent, uh, especially for organizations that individuals are willing to stay. That means that the organizations are doing the right thing for their careers. A couple of other data points that we you know, saw. First, the salary gap for women continues um, to narrow for those individuals entering the workforce. Uh, women under the age of 29 for the second year in a row are, are out-earning their male counterparts. However, the pay gap inverts the longer the women stay in the industry. A couple of reasons uh, for that. Number one, oftentimes they're starting at a lower base, but also they may not be given the same opportunities as men in their their particular organizations. And then lastly, uh, I think we need to identify that uh, our certifications, specifically the ASCM APEX certifications, 
pay off significantly. Those certified individuals reported a 27% higher salary, truly a recognition of their contribution to developing sustainable businesses for their organizations. We're really happy with the results. There's a lot of work to do within our DEI for our industry, but we're really happy about some of the progress that we've made, but there's a lot more work to do. Uh, you know, Abe, to that very last point you made about certifications, at um, Supply Chain Management Review and Peerless Media, we do uh, annual salary surveys as well. And one of the things that has consistently come up uh, in our survey was the value of certification. So, I mean, I think reinforcing that point uh, was really a great thing. Uh, Amy, Lisa, we want to bring you into the conversation. So Abe just mentioned that there's a lot of interesting detail regarding diversity in the survey. Um, he went back over the, the pay gap closing for women starting their careers. You know, I attend a lot of supply chain conferences and have for years. And one of the things I've been noticing uh, more and more is the number of women leaders who are speakers and attendees, as well as uh, people of color. Uh, we're just seeing more diversity, you know, there on the presentation stand, which is a great thing to see. And more and more in terms of just looking at the name tags, you know, walking around the conferences. So can the two of you compare what you're seeing today, you know, in our profession, compared to when you began your careers. Lisa, why don't you start? Sure, I'll get us started. Uh, now, remember, I started my career quite a few years ago, 35 plus years ago. So at the time, there were no formal supply chain degrees even, um, or supply chain focused conferences like we see today let alone women speakers and attendees. So regarding conferences in general, in a very male-dominated profession like supply chain and industry, as I was in the automotive industry, to be selected or included to attend a conference of any type was certainly the exception. And to have a woman speaker was extremely rare. So for me, it's been great to see the evolution for supply chain in general, and especially for women in supply chain. Now there are many conferences for both. and. I'll tell you that for those that don't have a diverse slate of speakers and panels, many individuals are choosing just not to attend them and support only those that do. So I would say still progress needed, but it's come a long way. Amy, you may not have been around 35 years, but I've known you for at least 10. <laughs> so you, you've got a perspective here as well. You know, how is our profession evolving as you see it? So it definitely is evolving, in the, especially when you look at conferences and who who attends them. Um, as someone who recently has been speaking at quite a few conferences, I'm also getting asked to speak at additional conferences. And some of these conferences, I've never even heard of, but they're supply chain. And I think in the past, they have been very male dominated. And so I think there is this big push that people understand about having a diverse slate of speakers and diverse attendees at a conference just makes that conference or that event that more attractive to people in the industry to attend. I mean, I'm likely much more likely to attend a conference that I know that there's a diverse set of speakers versus just everyone talking about that all look the same and all talking about the same, same topic. So I think I've definitely seen over the past few years, a bigger push to get more of a diverse slate at supply chain conferences and talking about the different areas and why diversity is even important. I know ASCM has done a really nice job of having that as a topic at, in some of their past conferences of 
What does DEI mean in the sense of supply chain? Another question for both of you. Um, you're talking about, you know, what individuals are looking for, you know, in terms of not only speakers, but in terms of other individuals that look like them, specifically role models or mentors within the industry. Uh, we indicated that the pay gap is inverted today for women entering the workforce, but gets significantly worse the longer they stay within the workforce. Give me a sense of what could be done to equalize, you know, the salaries or even the opportunities for women to get into senior leadership. How, you know, how do you position yourself and what does the organization need to do to help you along in your career? I can start on that one again. So um, on the pay gap, let's face it, senior staff has the greatest influence and control over both promotions and pay. So I see that an important area here is for businesses to provide leadership development opportunities. And that's so more women are prepared to move into those higher leadership positions. And this can help increase gender balance among the senior leader team. Uh, making sure that there is a voice at the table when it comes to those salary levels, because without that voice, oftentimes, um, you know, different decisions are made. And um, to that point, in addition to support a true change in behaviors, I'm a very big proponent of unconscious bias training. You know, unconscious bias, we ha all have it, and it can cause unintentional decisions to be made around pay scales, as well as the candidate selection and promotion. So training can really make a difference here. And then the final piece um, around this in my mind is, is the metrics. Metrics that track salaries by gender at all levels in the company, including the senior leadership positions. And metrics are just so important for ensuring that accountability and that the expected and needed results are being realized. So uh, leadership development opportunities, unconscious bias training, and metrics that track salaries by gender, I think will make a big difference here. Amy, maybe you can add a little bit more to this on, you know, not only from the organization's perspective, but from your perspective, did you have to position yourself or did you have to take any proactive measures? Uh, a number of years ago, we had KDK uh, talk about the confidence code on what women need to do to put themselves in a position for success. Give me a sense from your experience how that's translated. Absolutely, Abe. You know, you have to toot your own horn. And I was just recently on a panel for um, supply chain women, and we talked about this. And it's really about how do you advocate for yourself, right? And so if you don't speak up and be your best advocate, no one else is going to. So how do you make sure that senior leadership understands what you're working on and what you're delivering and what you're doing for the company to move the bar forward, making sure that you're getting those opportunities to get in front of senior leadership to talk about what you've done. Also, I think mentoring is a huge part of this, actually mentoring and sponsorship, right? Finding those mentors to help you develop the skills that you need to climb the corporate ladder, but then find that person who's going to sponsor you for that senior leadership role and then when it comes available, is speaking for you on your behalf and advocating that you're the right person for the role. When we talk about diversity and inclusion, this is going to sound like one of those, you know, duh kind of questions, but it presumes that you have diverse candidates to hire from. So I wondered, do, uh, you know, Lisa, when you were at GM, Amy, as a supply chain leader at US Cellular, you know, do you or did you have strategies for recruiting and hiring diverse candidates? And if so, can you give us a couple of examples of you know, what your organizations were doing to reach out to otherwise you know, underserved communities? 
Definitely much needed strategy in this area. You can't just assume that you're going to get the candidate slate that you need or want. An effective strategy that we employed at General Motors was to utilize diverse recruiting teams. We found that they really do two things. One, they show potential candidates that they can see themselves in your company and proof that you have a great career opportunity or career opportunities for diverse candidates. And two, it can ensure a more balanced approach to candidate selections, making it less likely to allow that gender bias or any other bias to influence the candidate selection decisions. And something else uh, informally that my HR partner and I started was to set up touch points with the new female hire groups every quarter for their first year of employment. We found this to be very effective. It was just an informal check-in to get their feedback on what was going well and more importantly, what was not going so well. So we could adjust for them as well as for the new hires coming behind them. Some other things that we did were group interviews um, with not only gender diversity, but cross-functional representation. It was also a great way to ensure objectivity in the hiring process. And Amy mentioned that mentors, you know, in this area, mentors were important as well from day one, just to provide a safe way to help guide new hires and give a safe way for them to ask, you know, what they might think is dumb or dumb questions, even though you say no question is dumb. Um, you know, new hires coming into the organization um, often feel uncomfortable asking those of their leader. And so a mentor can be really valuable in this case. A lot of initiatives around this area, but uh, I thought, you know, I'd highlight those. Uh, Elisa, before we go to Amy, just one real quick question. Uh, when you talked about, you know, diverse recruiting teams, Mm -hmm. Did it change where you were recruiting from? That was actually an initiative on its own at General Motors. We took a look at the, the uh, organizations that we were recruiting at, the universities and schools and whatnot, and um, realized that they were not providing us with the candidate pool that we were looking for. So absolutely, we changed um, the slate of universities that we were recruiting from to make a big difference in that area as well. And, you know, if you don't look at these things uh, and you don't intentionally look at it from a data perspective, you don't realize it. And, you know, again, I bring up the unconscious bias factor. We all make decisions and look at things differently um, than sometimes we realize. Uh, Amy, what about you at U.S. Cellular? I would just add on to what Lisa said, because we have a lot of the same type of programs here in our talent acquisition. But as a hiring manager, I am always asking my TA partners to make sure that I have a diverse slate of candidates. And if they are having issues sourcing for the, a particular role, I will even go to my own network and network to see if I can find my own diverse candidate or through somebody else that I know and really try to get the word out of what I'm looking for and how, how this fits in on my team. And I think it's okay to work as a partner with your TA to find those candidates. I remember a couple of years ago, I was interviewing for a summer summer intern, and I I couldn't tell you one candidate from the, the next one. They all were the same to me. And so I pushed really hard, and my TA group came through with me with a diverse slate of candidates and ended up uh, hiring the young lady actually after her intern um, as a full-time employee. So you have to ask the hard questions. You have to be a partner and really help finding that diverse slate for your interviews. Amy, Lisa, one of the other things that we saw out of the, the, the salary report was that in not in gender, but in regards to people of color, that perhaps we're not making as much progress as we'd like. There has been some you know, movement forward 
However, when we take a look at it, uh, the pay gap is significant for people of color uh, versus their white male or white counterparts. One of the indicators was the size of the organization, that public companies tend to do a better job. As we gain more visibility and transparency in our supply chains, you know, from your perspective, you both work for large organizations. How do you help your partners and how do you help your organization become aware of the, you know, the opportunity for people of color, specifically on, you know, hiring in, you know, in a very diverse marketplace, as uh, Bob was pointing out before? Amy, you want to start with that one? I think, Abe, it, it goes back to working with your talent acquisition team. I know here at US Cellular, we we have um, a DNI scorecard. So I'm actually scored as a leader um, how diverse the makeup of my team is, right? And I think the more companies talk about that have implemented things like this and can help others see why it's important that, you know, that there's equity across gender and diversity in the pay scale and why that's important. I think the more we're openly talking about it, the more I think we can affect changes in companies that maybe aren't as far as long in their journey as the one that I work for. You know, my feedback is very similar to Amy's along that regard. I I think metrics are extremely important in this area because if you don't measure it you're never going to know where you started or you know what kind of progress that you're making you know i found that with um, public versus private companies as well being involved in both that the best way to make sure that you make the progress that you need is to put those metrics in place, make sure there's good transparency and visibility to them, um, and then keep checking back to make sure that the initiatives that you do put in place are having the right impact um, that you're expecting or needing. Lisa, you just mentioned something that Abe hit on a moment ago, which is that uh, in this year's survey and last year's survey, uh, we found that pay was more equitable at public companies versus private companies. You both work for public or worked for or work for uh, publicly traded companies. So A, do you have a sense of why that's the case? And then second, any ideas on how women or people of color at private companies can leverage this learning? Bob, you know, after being part of both um, a large public corporation and now a small private business, because my my husband and I um, have started our own um, our own business, a big takeaway for me is that smaller private organizations often just don't take the same approach in terms of structure around metrics and standardized processes for not only driving DEI, but really anything operational for that matter. So I, I think a common mindset in you know smaller, especially smaller private organizations, is that you know we're too small to put effort into these areas, and that they only really a- apply to big companies. And I would say that the transparency that public companies have versus private is certainly a factor here as well. So I found through experience that, you know, I'll just go back to what I had mentioned, metrics are what create accountability to drive actions and confirm that those actions are actually working. And that's regardless of the size or type of company. So it's it's just really key for, you know, anything, you know, let alone the DNI metrics. So my one of my sayings is that good intentions don't drive results. So, you know, baseline where you started in terms of the pay equity and the other diversity metrics and then measuring where you are versus where you want to go is key for making progress. 
And Bob, just building on what Lisa said there, you know, we here at U.S. Cellular, we we go out and look at salaries. I know our HR team does this, I think. If it's not yearly, it's bi-yearly. And we have salary bands and they're very deliberate and they've put a lot of work into the salary and pay scale here. And just building on what Lisa said, you know, a lot of smaller privately held companies don't have, right, the money, the time, right? They don't think the benefit is worth doing that, but when it really is. And I think, you know, for the future is how do you show privately held companies the benefit of equal pay for DEI? Hey, Amy, I'd like to ask you one follow up and then we'll turn it over to Abe to take us out. You know, one of the things that we've heard is drive, you know, has been a driver for DEI and then also sustainability, which isn't really a salary survey thing, is. Larger companies like, say, a GM going to their suppliers and saying, you know, on this request for quotation, you know, also tell us what you're doing around diversity, around this, around that. And I just wondered, you know, as U.S. Cellular, you're a supplier to many places. Are you being driven by your customers to report on your efforts in these areas? I would say as of right now, I don't think I've seen a whole lot of it because if you really think about us, um, we are like, if we supply stuff, we're supplying cell phones and service. And I haven't, I haven't heard where we're being asked for um, information when contracts are being processed for that, but it's not to say that it wouldn't happen in the future. Thanks, Lisa. Amy, I'm going to get a little bit personal with you and um, ask you to um, look at your own careers. Um, as I indicated in the salary report, satisfaction is extraordinarily high. Uh, 96% of the individuals indicate they're going to stay in the field for the next five years, and almost 85% take pride in their work. Extraordinarily high numbers. When you think of your own careers and you look back on it, what are you most proud of, you know, in terms of what you've accomplished or what you hope to accomplish through your current job? Lisa, let me start with you. I think that's an interesting but a great question. And when I think about that, one accomplishment just jumps to the top. And actually, it's not specific to supply chain. Um, so, but I, it's the one I'd like to share because community support and involvement was something that I prioritized throughout my career. In addition to the direct supply chain work, I was very involved in supporting the charities that General Motors sponsored, especially when I moved into the higher leadership roles. So when a colleague of mine asked me to informally help with the Safe House domestic violence victims in Flint, Michigan, I didn't hesitate. And, uh, and frankly, the more I got involved, the more I saw the need locally and nationally for this type of organization. And we wanted to do more. So my colleague and I put together a proposal for our senior leadership team, which I was not yet part of since I was a director at the time this took place. And what we wanted to do was to add this to the short list of charities that General Motors, Customer Care and After Sales formally supported, because there were only certain ones that we were allowed to formally engage the workforce in to uh, for support and for fundraising. So we delivered our pitch to the senior leadership team at the time and not really really thinking that we had a chance to get it added um, because uh, the what we were competing against were the likes of United Way, UNCF, American Cancer Society, et cetera, and, and it was a short list. But we did it. We actually got approval on the spot to add domestic violence safe houses to the organizations we formally supported. It was such a huge accomplishment since it meant that they would get consistent, much-needed support all year long. Typically, it was just individuals providing support, kind of hit or miss. And 
And so this meant that, you know, there would be support coming from General Motors um, consistently throughout the year. And I'm happy to say that 11 years later, the strong uh, support from GMCCA continues. So definitely one of my proudest moments in my 35 year career. Very cool. Amy? I think for me, Abe, is seeing folks that work for me and work for teams underneath me being promoted and develop and seeing them grow in their careers. I can't tell you how much joy and that I get when I'm able to go tell somebody, hey, congratulations, you've just been promoted to a senior manager, right? And being able to see how they react and how they step in and also pay it forward on developing their teams and making them the next future batch of leaders in supply chain. And because what makes this industry run, right, is yes, it's the people doing the work, but I also think it's us as leaders making sure we're developing the next crop of leaders to step in our shoes, that we can continue the great work that we do in supply chain. Amy, you set me up for the last question uh, perfectly. And that is, as you started your career, you obviously got a lot of great advice. You got a lot of you know, insight. So what advice do you have for somebody starting out their careers? You know, what do you wish somebody would have told you about, you know, their career in supply chain as you were starting out? Give me a sense of it. It's, let's see, go with you, Amy. Okay, so I have, I have a couple pieces of advice. So the first thing is being able to negotiate and you should negotiate for your salaries. I was never told that. I'll, I'll share a funny story. I actually was mentoring our summer intern last year, and that was one of the pieces of advice I gave her. And I was so proud at the end of the summer, she negotiated with me for her job offer. So I think it, when I think of things happening and we're seeing like women entering the supply chain world and their, their salaries are beating their male counterparts, it's because they're negotiating and they have people like myself telling them to negotiate. And I wish, Somebody would have told me that way back when, when I was starting out. Uh, number two, don't be afraid to take a risk and try something different, right? And to move around in the supply chain world. I, I actually wish when I was younger, I would have moved around supply chain roles a little bit more. Um, I did that a little bit later in my career, which, you know, it's not it's not the, the most horrible thing, but I wish I would have done it when I was younger to learn about the different areas of supply chain. Extraordinary, really positive uh, steps forward. Lisa, give me a sense. Yeah, I'm, I'm similar to what Amy said there in her last piece. Um, my top advice is to zigzag your career. And by zigzag, I mean, you know, gain as many experiences as possible and do it as early on in your career as possible, because with each different role, you're going to learn more about the business. You're going to expand your network. You're going to open the door wider for more opportunities to come your way. I, I think just too many times early in our careers, we just want to move up as quickly as possible and take that next promotion, regardless of what it is. Or, you know, sometimes we just don't want to move out of our comfort zone, not realizing how limiting a straight line path can be. So, you know, this broader experience base will enable you to make better decisions, you know, more well-informed um, decisions and 
it's just a big factor for climbing into higher leadership roles later in your career, I think, because of that broader experience base. And I know it absolutely was for me. I would not have even been considered for my um, my last position with General Motors had I not had um, the experiences that I chose to do early on in my career. So my advice is to seek out those cross-functional moves, do it early. Uh, many hands-on jobs where you learn the most aren't an option once you move up the ladder. So that's, again, why you need to you know take action early. And it's just a great way to determine what you enjoy or you're really good at, because otherwise, you know, you may never discover that because you weren't exposed to it. So mm-hmm. no doubt it can be quite challenging, uh, but I promise that it will pay off in the long run. Really great advice, Lisa and Amy, from two extraordinarily accomplished professionals. Uh, I also want to thank you both for being on our board of directors. It really does set the tone for this organization, not only today, but engaging individuals into the future, into the supply chain career. That is all the time that we have today. A special thanks to our guests, Amy and Lisa, for joining us today. And finally, a special thank to you for joining us on this episode of The Rebound. We hope you'll be back for our next episode. And for The Rebound, I'm Abe Ashkenazi. And I'm Bob Troublecock. All the best, everybody. Thank you. The Rebound is a joint production of the Association for Supply Chain Management and Supply Chain Management Review. For more information, be sure to visit ASCM.org and STMR.com. We hope you'll join us again.